0: can't hand you a business plan but we can make you business wise so sit back and
1: learn to make stacks with it. octopus of enterprise
2: hi diana here and once again you find me at the deck And i have to say there's huge excitement brewing as the team here at ntu enterprise are anticipating our event next week with a guy called josh littlejohn if you don't know him he's founder of social bite the world's big sleep out and co-founder of Brew Gooder, a craft beer that donates 100% of its profits to clean water projects. And by the age of 34, he'd raised over £22 million for charity and homelessness causes. That's happening on Monday, the 9th of May, and tickets are available at ntu.ac.uk, search events, or just search for the power of entrepreneurship to change the world if you're listening before then. But all this excitement got me thinking, we haven't really talked much about social enterprise so far on the podcast, and there's no time like the present. Actually, it's not quite since I do realise we're recording. But anyway, I got together with three people who know a lot about social enterprise, and this is what they had to say. Today, we're delving into the world of social enterprise, looking at what in the world of business comes under that umbrella term and discussing how organisations of all kinds can put doing business for good, either socially, environmentally or both at their core. And who better to discuss this with than Anna de la Vega, Managing Director of the Urban Worm, Louise Cook, CEO and Head of Operations at Shareware Clothing Scheme, and Peter Patashko, founder of Cambio Consultancy. Welcome all. Welcome to the Octopus of Enterprise. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you. Hi, Jolly good. So in the introduction there, all I've done is given your name and your organisations. But what I'd really love to hear more about is how you started your origin story. If you like, we like a story here on the Octopus of Enterprise. So um, to get us started, Louise, can you tell us about you and Shareware?
1: So I'm glad you like a story on the uh, Octopus of Enterprise because our origin story is quite a story at Shareware. I'm a languages teacher by profession and Back in 2012, I had a very interesting year, spent some time volunteering with the charity CAFOD in São Paulo in Brazil and spent quality time shadowing other charities, working on the ground in the favelas, the shanty towns over there. When I came back, this experience was really life changing, blew my mind and I'm born and bred Nottingham, always lived here. So I know the voluntary sector very well. And came back wanting to get involved with some voluntary work somehow in Nottingham. Around this time, my son, who was a sixth form student, was volunteering every Saturday at a local food bank. And he started to come home weekly, saying that families had been asking about free clothing and that there was nowhere for the food bank to sign post them to. So this went on and on and on. And um, after a period of time, I said to my son, you know, I've done a bit of research and no one is doing anything about this at all someone should do something about it and my son literally said this is what your experience in brazil was for mom so i kind of threw the gauntlet back at him and said if you and your sister help me do it before you go to uni let's do a bit of research let's see if there really is a need and try and get it off the ground and um over in latin america charity is not about um the deserving poor and the bountiful benefactor It's about everybody being in it together. It's non-hierarchical. It's a very horizontal model of charity, which I fell in love with when I was there. And that's what I was seeking here in Nottingham to get involved with. So then when my son threw this challenge down to me and I threw it back to him, the idea was that we would set up something that followed that Brazil model, basically.
2: Fantastic. That is quite a story. Anna, over to you.
3: Hello. Well, actually, um, after I graduated from my undergraduate, um, I had an internship with a Kathmandu post. So I went to Nepal for a few months, didn't really know what to do. Um, and then it was quite boring, I wasn't really developing. So I left and went to volunteer my photographic services with the charity Practical Action. And it was founded by a guy called Ernest Fritz Schumacher, who's a pioneer of the green movement. He's advocating for um, low tech, appropriate tech at a time when everyone was moving towards industrialization. And uh, when I came back, I managed to get some arts council. And I had an exhibition at the Art Exchange in Nottingham, um, but I wanted to retrain to work in development. So I studied human security and environmental change at Trent. And that was wonderful. Of course, um, my course tutor recently passed away, um, Dr. Amanda Smith. She was my lecturer and she supported me the the whole way through. She was really important in my organisation. I specialised in food security and my eyes were open to the destruction of the soil and the impact of industrial farming and genetically modified seeds on farming and on communities and on our health so I decided to do something about it I learned about worm farming during my course and that was it I graduated and I was really grateful to receive lots of support so that is my story
2: and so the urban worm was born um yes. marvellous thank you Anna um we've got we've got okay. a bit of a sort of international flavor already Peter over to you
0: Thank you, Dana. Yeah, we have. We've also got a Nottingham flavour. I don't know if this is by design, but I, I grew up in Nottingham. I was born in Nottingham and so have a, a strong relationship. Lived there for 20 years. I've lived in London for the last 10 years, um, but uh, have well, half my family is, is in Nottingham. The other half is in Ukraine, hence the international connection. Um, I've been working in the kind of social enterprise and social impact probably for about 15 years and I recognised maybe back at university and I was the first person in my family to go to university that there had to be something between pure charitable work and um, working in a corporate or working in a business environment neither of which I was particularly keen to do I I was more interested in charities but what frustrated me was that a lot of work seemed to fall off the edge of a cliff or there was no legacy it would happen one year and not happen the next and it would seem to be a, a missed opportunity whereas it felt to me that enterprise presented a kind of a third way or a middle way in terms of creating a sustainable impact in whatever particular thematic area you're working in that really often involved beneficiaries and stakeholders quite effectively with sort of skin in the game. Um, So I kind of happened across the concept at university. I started my own social enterprise, which is a sort of a, a kind of a book sale. Basically, I identified on campus that there were a lot of students that didn't have access to the core materials for their course, but these books were often very, very expensive. So even this is many years ago now, but £50 and they simply couldn't afford them so we offered second-hand books so the final year students would donate the books, the sort of earlier year students would buy them at half price and that way both would win and that raised about £25,000 in about seven hours and we had students queuing around the building and I had no idea that this would be successful or what would happen or even what it was Um, and only having done it did I realise this is social enterprise in action I guess. Um, I left university and and went into work for a foundation focused on social entrepreneurship, and that was called Unlimited. And back in that period, they were one of the few organisations offering support to social entrepreneurs. Now there's many more. Um, And I got a sense of what this was, what the language meant and, you know, who would do this sort of thing and what were the structures involved. Uh, And particularly enjoyed working with young people and in education. Um, which I felt was also very transformative, because that had been my experience. I'd gone to university when other people in my family hadn't. I'd come out at university as the only person in my family to be gay, in my community to be gay. So this was all big stuff for me at the time. And I wanted to kind of give that to other people, I guess. And that's why it all sort of came together in that package. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I spent near enough 10 years uh, over different roles, working at Unlimited in education um, with young people and then internationally, actually. And decided to start my own social business four years ago called Cambio House of Social Change. And it's a consultancy. And what we do is we offer coaching, uh, a mixed consultancy. And then we also teach in uh, inside business schools and inside universities and social impact and impactful businesses. And I love that. And it provides me um, a new challenge every day. And it gives me the flexibility to go off and run all sorts of crazy projects. Uh, I think that's probably enough for now.
2: Um, There's loads in there that I could ask you about. Um, You gave a shout out to Unlimited having worked there. So that's a really good resource for people to have a look at. Um, There are toolkits on there and case studies as well. And that's certainly something that I often signpost people to look at Unlimited and also School of Social Entrepreneurs and also Social Enterprise UK. So if you're wanting further information, they're the three great places to look at. I also want to ask you about your business name. Peter, because um, there's a Latin American connection going on here, and um, forgive me, my Spanish learning is only at a very basic level. But I believe that Cambiar is the verb about change. Does Cambio, the the name for your business, come from that Spanish or another origin?
0: Yeah, correct, Anna. Um, and I love that you've done all your research as I'm sure you you, you do for all these episodes but um, spot on I mean I lived and worked in Mexico City for several years and actually met my husband there um, before coming back to London so um, the connection is very much with that um, sort of heritage and his heritage and um, yes it it obviously means change in Spanish and um, that is the kind of golden thread that runs through all the work that I do I feel I've been quite lucky in a sense and that a lot of know we're all going through change right now We've, we've been through a number of big changes that affect all of us in the last few years and so that has become a valuable or part of the valuable essence of a lot of the work I've done so it's there's a lot of right place right time as well as kind of learning the ropes with some of the big players that you talked about.
2: And you touched on the fact that social enterprise is sort of the space between charity and business as we traditionally know it. In your experience in unlimited, I guess there's there's been quite a lot of explaining around that to people. So, have you got an easy way for people to grasp that difference?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are so many different kind of definitions out there around what is social enterprise. I I think it's it's people looking to transform the world or, or the community in which they live sustainably. And when I say sustainable, I mean sustainably financially but also in terms of the sustainability agenda and the the kind of sdgs that's the kind of simplest way of, of putting it there are loads of much more complex definitions out there indeed ways of measuring depending on how much income you're actually investing into a particular course whether or not you indeed are a social enterprise but um I'm really a conscious of inclusive language and trying to encourage people to engage in this sector in some way. And even the word social enterprise are kind of barriers.
2: So I know that Social Enterprise UK have a video that I sometimes show people which looks at what a social enterprise is and what it isn't in a sort of humorous way. Um, What I tend to say to people as a shorthand is, you know, a social enterprise is still an enterprise. So it still is making money, but it's what it does with that. And that's on a different scale of either all of it is ploughed back in or some of it is, there is a spectrum. And I'm interested, Louise, to bring you in here because you were saying that the Latin American attitude to what a charity is, is a very different thing to what we have so it might be good at this point to ask you a little bit more about that because I'm fascinated by well,
1: that. you know we have like a very um, empirical version of charity um left over from empire days I believe you know of the bountiful benefactor and the deserving poor so um we never use words like deserving in our work at Shareware or worthy or kind yeah. or any of those kind of words because they're all throwbacks to that time. There's nothing kind about looking after your neighbor I believe it's just a part of human nature to look after your neighbor we're all on this planet together and I believe we have a responsibility to care for each other and um, so I dislike the words oh you know aren't the people at shareware kind aren't you lovely aren't you generous no I don't think we are we're just people who care about others and want to do something about it and um, and so this is very much highlighted in Latin America and I just I loved that idea it just chimed completely with my philosophy and I'm, I'm very opposed to charities in the UK who still today now use old-fashioned words like deserving and worthy you know we're all the same we're all equal.
2: Really interesting as well to see once again another framework or model that you Louise have chosen to take and apply to your socially led organisation. And another thing I'm really interested in talking about today is the money side of social enterprise and grants. They can be important for your venture. So, Anna, I know you've received grants as part of your enterprise. So I was wondering if you could maybe give an example of who um, or where as a community interest company you have or, or you're currently getting that kind of funding from. And I suppose what that's helped you to do.
3: Yeah, um, so the National Lottery um, have been really great. We've actually got a grant from them at the moment from Reaching Communities Fund um, for a project called 1,000 Worm Farmers. So we've uh, had funding to gift 1,000 packs of 100 grams of worms to anyone who makes a worm farm and uploads their picture of their worm farm, and then we post worms out. We've had 826 packs of worms to people so far. Um, so yeah that's been really great so yeah that's been a really um, successful grant project. So
2: a lot of worms out there in the world as a result (laughs) of that grant. Um, We're going to include everyone in the description on the uh, Spotify link and and in other places where you get your podcasts so don't worry you can follow up on all of these fantastic folks later. Um, I'm also wondering whether Peter as now someone who's consulting whether you've got any tips on that sort of grant funding or how to start
0: yeah a a lot of social enterprise funding does focus on on grant funding initially that's right and there's more and more opportunities and spaces to access that uh unlimited we mentioned but there are so many smaller providers now and localized providers and thematic providers that, that get that initial funding into the hands of the entrepreneurs that need it And now it's much more targeted as well, I think. But it absolutely is possible to start a social business of any kind or any business without a big reserve of funds or indeed without spending your own money, crucially. Um, And there are plenty of environments in which that makes sense. So, for example, a university or an education environment you've got access to free space or printing or academic experts, et cetera, where money becomes less important, I suppose. But I recognise that for some, especially the product-based businesses or, uh, you know, where there's specific technologies to be worked on, sometimes there is a requirement specifically around funding. So um, in, in terms of, just to come back to the original question on, on grant funding specifically, with lots more being available, I would say that amounts between £505,000 are normally a really great staging post. However complex the technology build is or however complex the product um, creation process might be or design process. Um, And there are lots of funders that provide that kind of money, um, almost as a a kind of cash point, if I can put it in those terms. So there's lots of, of, of avenues out there.
2: Louise, you look like you want to say something.
1: I have a lot of people approach me and say, I want to set up a charity. I want to set up a charity. Can you advise me on what to do? And the answer is no, I can't, because we didn't set Shareware up to be a charity. We set Shareware up to be an enterprise, supporting people in our local community and see where it went and if we could keep going and if it was sustainable when we knew it was, then we applied to register as a charity two years down the line. And I think that's advice I would give to people out there listening to this, thinking about what's the difference between a social enterprise and a small charity and which way do I go. And and I, I think people shouldn't make very quick decisions about what route they want to go down, but about being a CIC or a registered charity. And there are all different kinds of registered charities as well. We're a CIO, a charitable incorporated organisation. You know, so even within registered charities, there are different types. Um, and recently I was giving a speech at NTU and, um, and I, I was speaking to graduates and saying, just say yes, that's our philosophy is if an opportunity comes along, or even something that doesn't look like an obvious opportunity, but it plants some kind of curiosity and idea in your brain, say yes to it and worry about how you're going to do it later. And worry. And, and the part of worrying about how you're going to do it later is the part about, oh, what am I? I'm a so, am I a social enterprise? I'm a charity. Am I a CIC? Just do it and get going.
2: Brilliant advice there. And I, I really like the fact that you have demonstrated that what it came from was a need identified? And that's in any business. If you Absolutely. can identify yeah. a need, if you can test that, that yeah. assumption you've made about that yeah. need is correct, or at least start to, I think, Peter, you referred to, you know, like changing the path of, of what your idea might be, because that's the yeah. other thing, being open to going, well, I thought it was going to be this, but actually it turned out to be something else. So we've talked about grants and all the definitions behind socially driven organisations or enterprises. But my final question to you all is, what is one trait you think a person or your venture needs to start and more importantly, to sustain a successful social cause or product?
3: Dedication and passion. I've been doing this for nearly eight years now, and most people would have probably given up. Um, it's not always smooth, and there will be lots of tears. Um, but you need to be very committed to what you're doing.
1: I would echo that. I mean, that's exactly yeah. the same. You know, in in our yeah. work that we're doing, is that um, it's resilience. And uh, we had a financial meeting with some benefactors earlier this week, and um, they were really impressed by our resilience as a very small charity doing a big amount of work and um, overcoming all the barriers and challenges that we're presented with as a charity rather than as a social enterprise. And it comes down to what Anna said, that if you are completely and totally committed, that is the key, I think, then you will have that resilience. And everyone's got something that they feel passionate about. And if you've got an idea and you've done some R&D and you absolutely feel passionate about it, like Anna says, you will have that resilience to take you through because the resilience is just inborn from your commitment and your passion.
2: Great. Peter, one final thing from you?
0: I would say that for me, if I hadn't heard what I've heard so far, I would have said determination, which I think is another way of saying resilience in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you do need to be prepared to hear no and still to continue with what you're passionate about. And there'll be ups and downs. Absolutely. I mean, certainly the last few years we've seen that, haven't we, where, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and there's been some really tough moments, um, some incredibly tough moments, let's be clear. In a business sense, you have to be able to kind of bounce back from that. Um, And that takes a lot of inner strength. But actually, I find that people's inner strength has a habit of coming out in the most challenging moments. I would trust that that would happen. But obviously, it's easy to sit here and say that. It's hard to predict that in advance and say, oh, well, I know I will respond to this challenge when it arrives. But I think it does come out in people.
2: So we've talked about your experiences, how you got into this whole business of social enterprise. We've talked about the landscape of social enterprise. We've touched on grants and what you've said is passion, resilience, determination, really important qualities for social enterprise. It's been an absolutely fantastic conversation. But sadly, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Peter, Anna, Louise, and thank you for listening. I'm Diana Passick Atkinson, and you've been listening to The Octopus of Enterprise. Bye. <laughs>